G'day and welcome to The Grass is Greener. My name is Tim Henry. I'm a financial advisor in Melbourne. And every week, my guests and I dissect your everyday challenges. We'll get you clearer on your goals and give you financial tips to make it happen. If this is your first time tuning in to The Grass is Greener, make sure you subscribe to the show on your platform of choice so you'll automatically receive each episode as soon as it's released. Welcome back to The Grass is Greener and welcome to another episode in our state planning series. And today we are chatting with Laura Salisbury from a company called Generation Life. Generation Life do investment bonds and Laura came in on episode four to chat to us about how investment bonds can be used to invest for your kids for their future. But today she's coming in to chat about the specific um, benefits of using an investment bond as an estate planning tool. So Laura chatted to us about the actual characteristics of an investment bond. It is a really good tax-effective investment. It's a long-term investment, um, normally more than 10 years to really tap into those tax uh, benefits but has very, very strong features around transferring ownership to other parties and not triggering um, CGT and that sort of thing. We chatted about four specific groups and how it could benefit someone doing their estate plan with four specific areas, leaving funds to your grandkids, leaving funds to problem children. When I say problem children, I mean adult children that might have gambling addiction or substance abuse. We chatted to Tara Lukey a little bit about that a couple of weeks ago. Also leaving to money to people outside the direct family, such as a carer or something like that. Um, we also touched on how it could be used in a blended family situation. And we chatted to Lucy Percy about some of those topics last week too. So it's really about how the investment bond can be used as, as an extra tool in your toolkit. Um, probably not to replace your your will in totality. It's really how it can be used um, around the edges to maybe create a little bit more certainty. So enjoy the chat with Laura Salisbury. If you're looking for a community of like-minded people who are going on a journey similar to you, then I invite you to join the Grass is Greener Facebook group where you can connect, share and learn from other people just like you. We are here today with Laura Salisbury from Generation Life. Welcome back, Laura. Thank you, Tim. Good to be back. I know. Second time on the show you came on um in one of our first few episodes actually to talk about um investment bonds and how they can be great for investing for kids um and if you haven't heard that episode i you know recommend you go back and have a listen it was really good but today you're coming in to have a chat to us about how it can be used as an estate planning tool and we're really excited to learn about that um before we get started on that, tell us a little bit about your journey um, and how you sort of, <laughs> I know it's a bit of a passion for you, 
um, investment bonds and it's been part of your life for a long time. So tell our listeners a little bit about that. Okay, thank you. Well, yes, you can probably tell from my accent. I'm from the UK and came over to Australia, gosh, it's about 2010, so 11 years ago. Um, I started my career uh, working for a bank in London and actually selling investment bonds, funny enough, and promoting them. So it's uh, I've been certainly in the industry uh, for a very long time and been focusing heavily on investment bonds here in Australia. And yes, exactly what you said, Tim, they are an incredible solution and it can help solve some of the most complex or even simple estate planning concerns that uh, people have. Fantastic. Um, well, let's start with something straightforward. Um, let's go and have a chat about what actually is an investment bond. Can you talk us through that? Actually, I think it, that's a very good question, Tim, because I think a lot of people get a little bit confused. So investment bond is actually a tax paid structure. They used to be called insurance bonds or invitation bonds. And they've actually been around since the 1830s. So certainly the gold rush days, people were heavily invested into them then. Um, and ultimately, because they've been around since the 1830s, it does make them incredibly flexible and portable in today's world. Unlike other options or tax structures out there where there's a, a lot of, I guess, contribution limits and uh, a lot of complexities around them. Yeah. Yeah, and I think you're right in saying that um, there can be confusion at times because there's things called government bonds. And I think what people think is oh, I'm, I'm putting it into some sort of bond type investment. <laughs> the ta- just if you could um, just talk through the, the two, there's sort of two components to this. There's the ta- tax structure, which is the investment bond itself, and then how the funds are actually invested. That's just like uh, any sort of menu that you might experience in super or with with the managed fund where there's lots of uh, choice around how you invest the money. <laughs> Yes, absolutely, Tim. That's a that's a very good point. Um, an investment bond is a, a tax paid structure, just like superannuation. So superannuation is taxed internally at a maximum of fifteen percent. An investment bond is taxed internally at a maximum of thirty percent. So it's effectively a non-super version, if, if you could say it like that. But yeah. ultimately, what you have on our it's a platform um, or an account, and what you have is the ability to invest in many different asset classes, including Australian equities. Uh, international equities, fixed interest and cash, property, etc. Beautiful. I love the way you just uh, described that. Um, the, the super is a tax paid platform at 15% and the investment bond tax paid at 30 The one difference is I think um, depending on the type of investment that you have in the investment bond, that can actually reduce, can't it? Down from 30. Yes, absolutely. So what's really interesting is every fund that we have available on the menu actually runs its own tax return uh, and certainly pays tax at different levels. So an Australian equity-based fund could end up paying single-digit figures because we can actually add yeah. back franking credits back into the fund and we can certainly manage the tax on each of the funds at, at, at individual levels. Uh, but ultimately, yes, very simple, uh, like superannuation. Superannuation is provisioned for tax internally. We effectively yep. provision for tax internally. So there's no actual tax at the end for the end user to declare in their tax return if they're not making any withdrawals within the first 10 years. Yeah, cool. And um, I think that's the other important part of it is the tax paid structure does work to this um, time frame, doesn't it, as a 10-year time frame? 
Yes. Um, it's re really an investment that you would want to, where you expect to be in it for at least 10 years to take advantage of all those tax um, uh, benefits. Look, um, look, I do agree with you. I think holding it over the longer term um, is a great tool because post 10 years, there's effectively no build up of CGT. And post 10 years, you can actually access the full money without anything to declare in your tax return. So because it's taxed internally, it means that if you hold on to it for 10 years, it means there's nothing to declare in your tax return. And I think it's a really good strategy for people to help them save, um, give them a goal and a vision. Uh, maybe they want to buy an investment property in 10 years or a second home or a beach house, or even just to pay off their mortgage. Um, but what's really powerful is that you're right, there's no CGT or tax bill post 10 years. Uh, as long as they stick to the parameters uh, within the, the structure itself. Yep. Um, you can, of course, access it at any time. And in fact, um, even within the 10-year mark, um, you can access uh, the funds and you do get access to a 30% offset in your tax return. So they are very flexible and you can access them at any stage or any time. Even retirees uh, love them because they set up a monthly withdrawal. Um, alongside this, their superannuation. Yeah, they do. And and I think that can be a great option sometimes for people once they've maxed out how much they can get into super in their life. Um, it's a great uh, backup option for those people in retirement. Mm. Um, I'd love you to chat briefly, if you could, Laura, about um, the flexibility in this transfer of ownership, um, how that works um, in an investment bond structure it's a lot more flexible than, say, a traditional managed fund or, or an account. Could you just sort of talk us through that? Absolutely. So, look, if um, if you wanted to do some regular savings or you had a lump sum to invest, ultimately you've got some decisions around how you wish to hold it. Do you want to invest it in your own name, in your, in your partner's name, in joint names? And there's a lot of, uh, obviously, concerns you may have around where's the best or who's best to own the investment. What's really powerful about investment bonds is that you can actually transfer the ownership at any time. So you alleviate any concerns because ultimately you could structure it as a joint ownership or a single ownership and you can transfer the ownership to any party or any individual at any time without triggering a CGT event. Whilst outside of an investment bond, if you did invest it in your own individual name, unfortunately, if you wanted to hold it in another individual's name, you'd have to sell down the assets, pay tax, and then reinvest. So with an investment fund, huge amount of flexibility. Uh, and I guess that transfer of ownership is so powerful when it comes to estate planning. Yeah, Because it's absolutely. a great way for grandparents to pass money onto the grandkids by transferring ownership of their investment bond. Um, to well, any, why don't to we get into some of those, um, why don't we get into some of those um, examples? Now, you, you, you mentioned, Laura, before we came on, you, you're going to talk about four specific examples of where an investment bond really could be used to mm. avoid conflict at the estate planning absolutely. Um, stage. Absolutely. Yeah, so, absolutely. So, uh, thank you, Tim. That's a great question. So, I guess if you have any reservations or concerns that there may be some conflict at the estate, whether you want to leave money to someone outside the direct family, outside the direct children, um, could be a carer, a neighbour, a family friend, certainly a loved one, um, you know, then if you feel that that could cause conflict, it may be better that you structure, uh, you know, you'll pass on your legacy to them in a different manner, like a, an investment bond, because 
Investment bonds uh, certainly can be structured as an honest state asset and you can effectively transfer or pass your wealth on to individuals outside yeah. of the estate, um, again, tax-free manner um, and with complete control and certainty. So um, the four areas I guess I wanted to touch on, the first one was certainly the balance between children and grandchildren. And yeah. this is actually the number one area that causes conflict at the estate. Uh, you may have three children, um, and of those three children, two had kids and one didn't. Now, that child that never had kids is expecting a third of the estate. However, what happens, of course, is that, you know, you want to leave money to the grandkids and you, you suggest that maybe a testament you trusted to set up to, um, yep. to, to pass money on to the grandkids in a controlled manner. However, that child, of course, is expecting a third of the estate, and that could cause a challenge, conflict, um, it may end up going to court, and ultimately, uh, the money that you set aside to pass to your grandkids may not quite go to them uh, yeah. exactly as you wished. So um, the balance between children and grandchildren can cause conflict, and it's very rare that you have a situation where you had two kids who then had two kids. So there's always yeah. this potential imbalance. So. Yeah. We, we suggest, and it's a thought, is that you know an investment bond is a great way to pass money on to grandkids, avoid the estate entirely, and effectively, to eliminate conflict, have the estate split them equally amongst the kids. Um, of course, you never can guarantee there isn't going to be conflict, but even it just keep things a little bit simple. Um, and I guess passing wealth on through an investment bond, it bypasses the estate, bypasses probate, uh, and certainly isn't in the public domain. Um, and it gives you the ability to, yes, pass wealth onto your grandkids and absolutely knowing that they will receive those funds within well, a controlled manner. Let's um, just explore that then. So let's just imagine, for example, that, um, yeah, there's a million dollars in the estate. And, yes, as you, as you say, there's, a, there's some grandkids. Um, and the person who is wanting to design their estate, they do want to leave some money to the grandkids. So what you're suggesting is they would, before, um, while they're still healthy and alive, they're going to set up some bonds, these accounts, these investment bonds, and it's in their, the, the bond is in their name, yep. Yes, that's right. And, but they would have their grandchild as the beneficiary. Yes. Right? yes, so what they would do is they would structure them to transfer ownership uh, at a date in the future or on death, and effectively yeah. each grandchild will be the become the beneficiary of the investment tax paid structure. At so that the moment money, in time. Yes, and yeah. the money stays fully invested, and if it's been run, running for 10 years, it means that the grandkids inherit a tax paid structure where they have access to funds to pull out for a first home deposit, um, you know, or for uni fees, education yeah. fees. Um, the other thing you can do also is you can actually put restrictions around their access. So if you wanted it to pass on death, you could say that I'd like to pass my investment bond on to my grandchild on my death. However, uh, if I died prior, I do want my grandchild to access the funds until they turn 25. So the minimum age they can access funds is 25, yep. and you would effectively put their 25th birthday in uh, as an accessibility point. Uh, for when they can access funds. So that's great um, that you you've mentioned that because so what that what you're saying there is that if if um, you know if I left it and I passed away, it would transfer into the ownership of the grandchild, 
That's right. Uh, at, the, at the point of my death, but they wouldn't have access until that point that I've instructed down the, down the line. Absolutely. And you know what it does? It eliminates the requirement and need for a testamentary trust because effectively the child is holding their investment bond themselves in trust yeah. for when they turn 25 or 30 or whatever age that uh, the grandparent decides that, that the child and should so, access funds. So how that, that one plays out, I guess, is they've already sort of got made those investments that will pass to the grandkids. The rest of the estate is just left, flows into the estate, and, and that's divided up equally between the, children. the three children, mm -hmm. as you, you mentioned. Mm -hmm. That's a great one. Um, what's the next one that you were going to mention? I think um, people outside the family, the direct family. It is very common that people would like to leave money to someone uh, outside the direct family, someone that's been good to them, that's looked after them, maybe taken them to hospital the last 10 years. It could even be um, a niece or nephew. Yep. Um, it could be a carer, um, even yep. a, a neighbour or a family friend. And this is quite a common theme. The, the yep. issue that arises is that if someone does want to leave money to someone outside the direct kids, generally, in common terms, the, the kids tend to be the executors. The kids, kids do have an element of discretion, and of course, this is their role to pass the legacy on as according to the will. However, yeah. um, you know, because let's say mum wanted to leave money to a carer or a neighbour, that could cause an element of conflict, conflict amongst the kids. Um, and you know, you could have one child saying, "Well, no, I, I don't think we should be giving our inheritance to mum's carer. This is our inheritance," while the other yeah. child. Is, this is mum's wishes and that itself just causes and creates conflict amongst the, the siblings so um if you do want to leave money outside the direct family or the direct kids then again doing it through a structure like an investment bond which is a non-estate asset means that you can pass the wealth on to that individual without the kids knowing about it without the estate knowing um and eliminating the conflict i'll give yeah. you a bit of an example uh, we had a case come through recently where um, a 92-year-old, um, he has had a carer looking after him for the last 20 years, and he loved his carer. Um, she's been very good to him, and he worries about what's going to happen to her when he passes away because she's not going to have any income anymore. And he also knows that if he left some money to her in through the estate, the children, uh, he knows, would not make it happen. Uh, because they're not they they're not a fan of how close the care is with their dad. Oh family. right, yeah. Um, so what he's done is he's actually cleverly structured an investment bond uh, in his name to transfer ownership to his carer on his death, with a restriction to fifty thousand a year to replace her lost income uh, for six years, and then in six years wow. after after um, he's passed away, she'll have a fifty thousand restriction for six years. And then ultimately, after that, she can access the full amount, which I think is really beautiful. Yeah. beautiful gift. It's a beautiful message, um, and it shows that he's looking out for her. And what's really so great think... about it is that he knows with complete certainty that these funds will go directly to his carer. Yeah, I think that's that's the thing, isn't it? It's, it's that certainty that you're saying, okay, well, I'm going to take any of this potential animosity or potential um how people might feel about my decision down the line i'm going to take that out of the equation and and make sure of it now absolutely and do you know what there's one other thing to add with this is 
is people that want to leave unequal inheritances, and this is another common theme, is that there might be one child who has looked after mum uh, and been there with mum along the period, power of attorney, etc. while the other child, you know, doesn't really speak to mum much, hasn't been around for the last 10 years. So mum really wants to look after her other child and make sure that she gets a greater share for all the extra help and support that she's given her over the last, you know, 10 to 20 years. Um, yeah. and, and the difficulty is, of course, if she says at the estate level, 70% to go to one child versus the other, um, of course, all it's going to do is create conflict. And of course, no doubt the other child will challenge it and demand their 50% share. So we have, we have had people set up investment bonds where they just want to leave a little bit of extra money to a child to say thank mm. you. Um, uh, and they yeah. want to leave unequal inheritances. Uh, and I think that, again, investment bonds can be so powerful. And I think anything that avoids the estate, again, it's private, it's not in the public domain, especially when people are concerned about, um, you know, kids come out of the woodwork yeah. or, uh, you know, uh, estranged children, uh, you know, areas like that. And also, you know, you may not have any children and you, you might decide that you want to leave some money to charities, maybe a niece and nephew. And even in a situation like that, uh, you might find, again, relatives come out of the woodwork and will claim yeah. against the estate. And unfortunately, family members do hold up in court over a charity. Mm. So we actually have people who sell investment bonds to bypass the estate and have all of their assets distributed to different charities and to niece, nephews, sisters, brothers, uh, and make yeah. sure it's all completely controlled and provides complete certainty. Um that's a great one. So then I think the next one you had, which I, uh, again, we chatted um, last week to Lucy Percy about um, some st strategies and tactics she had in the letter of wishes for blended families. But um, yeah, love to hear um, how you think the investment bond can play out for a blended family situation. Oh, absolutely. So look, if this is one of the largest demographics in Australia, yeah. in the world, to be honest, and ultimately, you know, people might be in a new marriage um, and maybe the, they've got their the children from the wife uh, living with them or husband um, and they've got children from a previous marriage. So if they set up a normal individual investment, not an investment bond, but just a normal individual investment in their own name and they happen to pass away, that money would effectively go to their estate and most likely yes. land on their new wife and her kids. Yes. Um, an investment or really... possibly the kids they've had together. Yes, possibly their yes. kids that they've had together as well. Thank you, Tim. Yeah. Yes. Um, so I guess we're, with an investment board, what's really good is that the you could structure it to provide for anyone, including children from a previous marriage. So a lot of times people say, you know, I want to make sure that if anything happened to me, my daughter from a previous marriage is looked after. So they might yeah. set up a regular savings plan or an investment bond where the, if they passed away, it reverts to the child from the previous marriage and not revert to their new spouse. And you're mentioning it in that, that way where, where the money's going to the spouse. Um, there could actually be situations as well where... Um, you might be the, the people might be a bit older and and they're just living with with a companion and I I know in, even with with a um, distant part of our family um, yeah the my great auntie lived with someone for many years mm. and um, two weeks after her partner died um, the daughters kicked her out gosh because they owned 
uh, the, the estate. Mm-hmm. And so I think as well it, it could work in that situation too to say, okay, well, most of the estate's going to the kids in that situation and I want to make sure my companion is looked after. Absolutely. And these are really good conversations to, to have and, and think about because it just shows you there are solutions out there that can provide for people's concerns around passing wealth on and certainly in a controlled manner if they're concerned yeah. about, um, you know, children's spending habits um, and areas like that. But absolutely. And it is a real concern. I think also with superannuation, you've got the trustee discretion. Um, and we've heard many cases, I'm sure, you know, on TV and you've heard in the news where, you know, money hasn't quite gone to the right individual stipulated on a binding nomination. Um, yeah. And, you know, that's that there are concerns in that area. I mean, obviously, superannuation is a great tool, um, but it's just something to be mindful of. Yeah, if you sure. do want to leave money to a certain individual and you make sh- and you want complete certainty that that money is yeah. going to pass on then certainly something like investment bond could work well. And then the final example, again, which has been raised during um, these episodes we've had the last few weeks, I think Tara talked a little bit about this with testamentary trusts. Problem, we've called it problem children, but it could be children um, slash adults, um, whoever children uh, that might have gambling problems or maybe a, um, substance abuse mm-hmm. or something like that. So uh, tell us a little bit about that. Actually, um, this is this is very common, um, a common theme. Uh, people are concerned about their children's spending habits. They're worried that when they receive a lump sum on their on their death, they'll receive a lump or, you know they'll receive a lump sum. They'll ultimately end up spending it. Maybe they'll gambit it away. Um, maybe you know they've got alcohol addictions, drug yeah. addictions etc. Um, and in, in many situations, a common, I guess, common solution would be through the will to structure a testamentary trust. Um, yep. And ultimately what would happen is the siblings would most likely be the trustees to manage the flow of income to the, yes. to the child. Um, and of course, it does become quite a laborious process. Um, yep. A lot of people worry they don't want their child to be a burden on their siblings. Um, yep. And they want to find the most easiest solution to help provide for their son or daughter, but not be, um, you know, not be to the detriment of the siblings. Yep. So um, an investment bond is widely used for people who want to pass money on to problem children because you can actually structure um, a, a, an annual restriction and say, OK, when my son or daughter inherits my investment bond, they are restricted to no more than 50000 a year or 100000 a year or 10% of the account per yeah. annum. And obviously what it means is you remove that trustee discretion, which means that uh, it's completely controlled and the child knows exactly what they're going to get paid every month uh, as long as the investment lasts and they cannot access yeah, any that's... more than that set amount per month. Really interesting one. Um, and as you say, I think all four of those examples that you've you've talked about there, they're all common. Mm-hmm. We're not talking about unusual situations there. All, these are situations that exist in every family, mm-hmm. I think, or many families. Um, one of the things I just wouldn't mind, we didn't have this on our list to chat about, but I just wouldn't mind you, you talking through just the mechanics of, in any of these situations, Okay, someone passes away, 
um, and let's just say that the bond was due to pass on their death. Mm-hmm. Can you just explain the mechanics of how that actually works at a company like Generation Life, How what actually occurs? Okay, so um, we get notified that the owner of investment bond has passed away. Uh, and this investment bond is to be transferred, let's say, to a son. Uh, what we would do is we will ask for the death certificate and we would need ID on the son. Once we receive the death certificate and identification, we'll be able to transfer the ownership to the son. And the son will get a certificate of currency emailed through the same day as we process it. Um, and ultimately, he'll be able to, depending on whether there's restrictions in place, of course, he will be able to access the fund straight away if yep. there's no restriction. If there is restriction, restrictions in place, then, of course, um, he could set up a regular monthly withdrawal um, if he wishes to do so. Certainly great to have a financial planner involved in the process yep. and to, to sit down with the son and, and help him guide him in making some right choices. Because one of the things that we've you know, we've touched on a lot about how we're transferring ownership from one party to another. But the other great part of this, I, I feel, Laura, is um, rather than just inheriting a lump of cash um, and then you've got to get advice around that, this actually is already sitting in a an investment that's obviously um, earning a certain rate of return based on the level of risk that's been taken. Um, and if it's been there for longer than 10 years, it's already in a tax-free environment, isn't it? So it's already structured in a potentially in a really good investment that could work well for people. Absolutely. It's, it's interesting what you say uh, about when people receive cash in their bank. It's so easy to spend. Somehow yeah. it's 19 days on average for someone who inherits money to go and buy a new car. Whilst if they actually <laughs> get it, <laughs> don't blame them really. <laughs> We all, yeah. like a, we all like a nice new car. But having said that, it may not be the right course of action for the money uh, and the best way to spend the money. And I think that if people do inherit an investment vehicle that's been running for some time and they've inherited it from mum, dad, or grandparent, they're certainly less likely to pull the money out to buy a new car. And they're more yeah. likely to hold on to it, maybe start continue contributing to it, to carry on a regular savings plan, and ultimately only take the funds out for something like a first home deposit or something yeah. ever so important. And I think as well, you know, if you say that it um, takes 19 days to buy a new car, I would also imagine, well, and I know this from personal experience with clients coming in, sometimes they've had an inheritance sitting there for quite a while. Like it could be a year or two before they actually get around to say, I need to do something with this money. And there's also sometimes a bit of a, a fear factor of, oh, you know, my grandpa left me this money or my dad left me this money and he worked really hard. I'd hate to lose it. Mm-hmm. I don't want to know if I want to take a risk with it. Um, if it's already sitting in that investment, it's already there. And and your grandpa or your dad or your mum chose that investment for you. And so you're probably going to say, okay, well, it can just sit there for a while. Absolutely. And what is really powerful is that you're not losing time in the market. So yeah, the whole process right. of transferring the ownership from one party to the next, and it's the most seamless process of passing on wealth, the money stays fully invested in the market. So you don't lose any time out of the market. And of course, um, you know, the, the new owner of the investment bond, they can certainly sit down with their financial planner and run through, um, I guess, their risk profiles and what their long-term plans are, and hopefully uh, retain the investment vehicle over the longer term. 
Beautiful. Uh, well, that's been a great chat, Laura. Um, I really enjoyed that because that, I mean, look, we're learning about investment bonds more and more about all the different great things they can do. And this certainly is uh, one of those key things, uh, key benefits to having an investment bond. Anything you'd sort of like to add for our listeners? I think it's just important to really think about whether there could be any conflict at the estate level um, and really yeah. consider that there are options available. Um, if you have reservations around passing wealth and the tax implications, uh, certainly please speak to your financial advisor. Again, with investment bonds, it's a tax paid structure, so there's no necessary tax implications. Uh, and of, of course, um, you may have concerns around spending habits of your kids. Again, through this type of structure, you can help control uh, their accessibility in the future. Um, but ultimately, a very seamless way to pass on wealth um, and certainly potentially could uh, mirror a testamentary trust and eliminate the need for setting up a trust uh, through a, an estate. But uh, but thank you so much for, for listening, everyone. And that's, certainly if you have any further questions, feel free to come back to, to Tim. Beautiful. Thanks, Laura. Thank you so much. Bye for now. Ciao. The information in this podcast is of a general nature and does not take into account your own financial objectives, circumstances and needs. You should consider your own personal situation and requirements before making any decision. If you have any concerns or questions, please contact me. I hope you enjoyed that chat with Laura. I did have a bit of a joke with her. She's a great mate of mine and um, she's never short of a word. I reckon she could come on and host this show, no problem. Uh, so thanks, Laura. Just a couple of things on investment bonds. I really love the way that you can transfer ownership. I think that's one of its most powerful characteristics and that ownership can transfer without triggering a transaction, i.e. capital gains tax and that sort of thing. Really, really powerful in some situations. But as we say, it does require that long-term investment view, at least 10 years. And just to also to mention that Generation Life are certainly not the only company out there that does investment bonds. And whilst we do like chatting to them, there's certainly plenty of options out there and encourage you to explore those if you're looking at investment bonds. That's the end of another show. Remember, the grass isn't greener on the other side. It's greener where you water it. See you later.